Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. So I'm really looking forward today to speaking with Joanne Fair and hearing more about her career journey, which has taken her around the world and from the corporate world into entrepreneurship. A little bit more about Jo before we get started. Jo is the co-founder of Future Work Studio, a technology and consulting company, which was established in 2019 to support organisations to adapt in a rapidly changing world. And I can imagine that's particularly relevant at the moment. Jo brings over 20 years of experience and expertise in leadership having held PL accountability for multiple businesses, both B2B and FMCG, including as Managing Director for Fonterra's ingredients business across Southeast Asia. Joe's also held numerous senior HR roles, including most recently as Global Head of HR for Fonterra, which has over 22,000 employees. Over her career, Joe's lived and worked in Europe, Southeast Asia, Latin America and Australia, as well as New Zealand. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Joe's career journey today. Kia ora, Joe, and thank you very much for joining. Kia ora, Anna. Thank you very much for the opportunity to have the conversation today. You're welcome. So I'd like to start with a question which might take you back a little way. But one of the things that I tend to find is that careers uh, are often shaped by some of our, our thoughts and aspirations, even right back into our childhood. And I'd love to hear from you, perhaps when you were a kid or a teenager, what did you want to be or do when you grew up? Uh, so it's a great question. I, I might be the exception. I'm, I'm not one of those people that sort of knew right from very early days what I wanted to be. So I had my earliest memory of what I wanted to be was a farmer and then a librarian, which is a bit random in both yes. cases. I think reflected my, my love of books and reading mm. uh, and probably a very pragmatic streak too. Uh, later on, I was very inspired um, by marine biology and really looked very closely at being a marine biologist and then a doctor. Mm-hmm. Went through a stage where I was, you know, very passionate. And I think that really reflected that I've always had a lifelong desire to want to contribute in some way, you know, to make the world a little bit better for the people around me. And so medicine seemed a way to go. And then ultimately ended up doing a law degree. So I have uh, certainly had a a wide-ranging start, which in a way I guess has played out in terms of my longer-term career. You know, always very curious and interested to learn new things and and done quite a range of things, you know, over the last 20-odd years. Mm. So from kind of considering marine biology and being a librarian, what then brought you to do, I think you did a law degree and then also studied French and Spanish, was it? Yeah, so I I think law I fell into. I was always very strong at history and English and languages and as I came through school in in that era, you know, it was sort of an expectation if you were bright and did well academically in those subjects, law was sort of a natural progression. Um, although I very much wanted to to be involved in community law and that, that shaped a lot of my early thinking. Uh, languages came about because I had gone to Switzerland on a student exchange 
and studied Spanish. And at that time in New Zealand, very few people spoke Spanish and it wasn't widely taught in schools. And in fact, that's what brought me to Auckland because at that stage, Auckland University was the only university in New Zealand where you could major in Spanish. You could do first year at Victoria in Wellington where I grew up, uh, but you couldn't major. The desire to, to continue the exposure I'd had to Spanish uh, is really what brought me to Auckland. And I wonder if that then influenced that sort of interest in languages and you said you didn't exchange to Switzerland, the sort of perhaps more global nature of your, your career. Yes, I, I was exposed in that year in Switzerland. I think, you know, as a fairly naive, relatively sheltered person who'd grown up in Wellington all my life, you know, what Switzerland gave me was just this incredible insight into different cultures, different worldviews, different perspectives. You know, I was there with a whole range of students from around the world. My closest friend was from Ecuador, so it was my first exposure really to Latin America. Uh, so yes, it, it excited in me a, a lifelong passion for learning and, and cultures, definitely. And tell me then, after you'd done your, your degrees, what was the, t- tell me I guess perhaps the highlights and some of the challenges of the first few years of your career? Well, uh, despite doing a law degree, I realised about halfway through that what really made me passionate was people and leading teams. I had been working part-time in the call centre for PepsiCo, as it was then, that serviced Pizza Hut and KFC, mm-hmm. and had the opportunity as a shift supervisor to, to lead a team of around 70-odd people on a shift, mm. and really, really loved the experience of being part of a team, of leading a team, of customer engagement. So shifted gears and ended up starting at New Zealand on their graduate program. So into more of a general business track. And then in my first sort of full year posting as part of that program, landed in HR. And HR, human resources, had never been on my agenda at all. I had never considered it as a career, but it just fitted and I loved it. You know, I was lucky to have a manager that gave me huge opportunities. I was given a huge remit to you know, to range far and wide and do really interesting things. And I just loved HR. So I came off the graduate program, stayed with HR mm. and stayed with Air New Zealand. And in fact, went across three or four years into ANSET Australia and probably had one of, or what is definitely one of the most formative experiences in my career because I was with ANSET when ANSET went into voluntary administration, Mm. which meant that essentially, literally overnight, 15,000 people lost their jobs. So as a New Zealander in Melbourne, uh, the same week as 9-11, so I think it was on the the Wednesday 9-11, hit the global airline industry and and hit, obviously, the, the global world changed everything we knew. Two days later, ANSET closed its doors. So an incredibly hard week. And, you know, being a New Zealander in an environment where a New Zealand company was being blamed for the collapse was mm. was really tough and very humbling. But I stayed on. I stayed on for three months under administration. We almost got the airline back up and running. And I just learned so much through that period around cash flow. You know, we were selling planes to fund the, the payroll I learned about the incredible impact on people's lives of losing jobs Mm. and finding new jobs and, you know, in a very real way. I learned about leadership and strategy because of the decisions that that led up and culminated in the collapse of ANSET. So, you know, as an early career experience, it was very, very profound for me. 
I think they often say that sometimes those the toughest times are the parts, in fact, where you learn the most. Absolutely. It's, it's always hard to hang on to that while you're living through it. But yes. in the hindsight, you know, certainly those kind of experiences really shape so much about the way you think and the way you act. I started my career in, in HR as well. And I think I often experienced the sort of the mixed bag of actually, you know, HR on the people side is so fundamentally important. But HR as a function itself is not always held in as, as high regard as, as maybe it could be. I know in, in yes. recent times it's been elevated more and people recognise, gosh, you know, the, the, the people and leadership side is so vital. How have you experienced that through your career? Yeah, I think that's a great insight and certainly is the case that, you know, HR done well is an absolute game changer for an organisation because the fundamental premise of HR, which is around creating the environment for success, is is so important. But HR as a function is often maligned, as, as you say. You know, for me, what HR has given as a career is the opportunity to really learn about all aspects of the business to be involved in in the fundamental key drivers of the business. Mm. But I've certainly experienced, you know, when I shifted from HR to a line role, you know, exactly the same person, but walking into a room saying, you know, I run a business, you know, run a P&L, mm. elicits a very different reaction from, you know, I'm an HR leader. Mm. And I think that's a real shame, but I would love to see HR functions or HR leaders really being perceived in a different light. But part of that is up to us as an HR function to really make sure that we are commercially savvy, we do understand the business, that we are unlocking the culture, that we are, you know, driving the talent and that we're staying contemporary and informed. And, you know, not all HR functions, unfortunately, are in that space. Great point. And then tell me a bit more about where your career went from there. And I know it sort of took you around the world and took you into a variety of roles. I'd love to hear a bit more about them. Yeah, well, I was incredibly lucky once I left uh, in New Zealand and said I came back to Fonterra, which at that stage was just six months old, formerly been the New Zealand Dairy Board and, and a number of manufacturing companies. So newly formed, a very young organisation, very aspirational, uh, and a very exciting time to be there. And a time where some really great leaders were, you know, very open to opportunities. So I came in, had my first offshore experience, I think within two weeks, I went Mm -hmm. up to the Philippines to, we were developing an induction program for the sales and marketing teams globally in FMCG. You know, so I had my very first experience of what it was really like to be supporting a New Zealand brand, but working in a different market. And that was really just the start of an amazing career with Fonterra, where I was given so many opportunities. A few months after that, my leader at the time came to me and said, you know, Joe, you speak Spanish? And I said, yes. And she said, you've done quite a bit of change. And I said, well, yes, you know, mm-hmm. through Anset Australia. And she said, well, look, we've got a vacancy for three or four months uh, running our Latin American communications and change strategy because wow. we were forming a, a joint, Fonterra was forming a joint venture with Nestle at the time called mm-hmm. Dairy Partners of Americas. You know, would I be keen? And so had a conversation with the local in-market manager and, you know, in a matter of weeks, I was off to, to Florida, actually was where I was based for three or four months. That then led to a role running regional HR for Latin America, for Fonterra's consumer business based out of Mexico City, uh, then back to do some global roles that, that gave me a remit. 
And then I actually left Fonterra for a period because at that stage in my career, I had been advising managers on how to lead teams for a very long time, but I had never actually led my own team. And I had the opportunity to, to leave and be leader of a team, um, which was actually with, with Bank of New Zealand. So mm. I went to run their organisation development function and had my first real exposure with a team of 15 and, at that stage. So yes, my, my early years of my career were very dynamic, lots of change, uh, lots of transformation and lots of opportunities. I was very lucky. And alongside, kind of, I mean, so you already talked about Australia, Florida, Mexico City. I think you've also worked in Europe as well. What has that global exposure and kind of living and working overseas, what has that given to your career? I think it's made it, for me personally, just incredibly interesting and dynamic. You know, the opportunity to learn. I'm absolutely passionate about learning. And, you know, the exposure you get from different ways of thinking, different cultures, different languages, uh, different ways of doing business, you know, what it's like to be a New Zealand company out in the global world, Mm. you know, very well respected in the dairy industry globally, you know, it was just phenomenal. So just continually opened up my my mind, I guess, to, to different ways of being and also brought its own own challenges, you know, managing time zones, managing virtual teams. Mm. So, you know, learning to lead when your team are are spread all over the world, Uh, learning to lead when your team come from a different culture and background and Mm -hmm. you need to adjust your style, learning that New Zealanders have, you know, cultural attributes that are, are really positive. But, but not always perceived positively, you know, so needing to adapt, you know, so a huge, huge learning opportunity. And I think it's, it's meant that I've been able to, to continue to learn and grow personally and professionally over a long period of time. And you, you made then an interesting shift back to Fonterra again. It's, um, it's not always that common to kind of leave an organisation and then to come back again. So what, what, what brought you back? Mm. I was a little bit homesick, to tell you the truth. You know, I I grew up in many ways professionally in Fonterra and I really missed the the people. I missed the dynamic nature of the organisation. Mm. It's an incredibly dynamic and diverse organisation. And I had the opportunity to work with a leader that I had worked with earlier in my career. So came back to lead HR for Tip Top. He was a fabulous leader and really enjoyed that period. And then from there, went on to the leadership team for HR. So my first HR lead team role, uh, which was running the global ingredients, HR for the global ingredients business. Mm-hmm. And that's when I uh, made the shift to P&L. So probably another big milestone in, in my career in terms of that shift. So by that stage, I had been in HR leadership roles for around 15 years and I was still learning because you still learn every day and, and, you know, there's always something interesting happening in HR. But I really felt that the pace of my learning was was slowing and there was an opportunity to do something different. So I talked to my leader at the time and said, look, I'm considering a cross-functional move. You know, do you think I'm crazy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sort of at, the, at what I felt like at that time was sort of the peak of my career, you know, why would I walk away from something that, you know, I was good at and was enjoying? But she didn't laugh and she was very supportive. And in fact, she said, look, we're recruiting for a global key account manager role for what was Fonterra's largest external customer at the time. And, you know, I sort of laughed. I did the classic, you know, stereotypical women's thing. I thought, oh, you know, 
goodness me, that's a huge role. I could mm. never be considered. You know, if the recruiting manager doesn't laugh when they see my application, then it would be great to have a conversation. And that conversation led to the interview process and then I ended up uh, getting the role, which was fantastic, and uh, moved to Amsterdam with that role and took on my first major P&L accountability. So uh, a huge, huge change and really daunting. You know, I, I was reflecting ahead of this conversation this morning and I remember so clearly sitting uh, in my office in the days when we had offices and the mm. announcement was going out that I had been appointed to this role and I was absolutely terrified because it felt like such a big move from human resources mm. to this major, major business leadership role and, you know, what would the reaction be? How would people respond? And I felt this huge, huge weight of needing to be successful because mm. I was representing HR and I was representing women in HR moving into to a, a line role. Mm. It was a very, very reflective and poignant moment for me. And the most amazing thing was that the announcement went out and almost immediately someone within that team that I was moving to lead sent me a note and said, hey, Joe, fantastic. You're exactly what we need. Can't wait till you start. And I just, you know, I still remember that, oh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was an amazing experience. Hard, very hard, but but really amazing. Mm, and I can imagine probably quite a steep learning curve, particularly coming from an area where you were an expert and an established leader with a sort of strong reputation already to an area where you're having to, yeah, learn quite a lot very quickly. What were perhaps the the tough parts of making that shift? I, I think that's exactly as you say. It was starting all over again in an area that I knew so little about, but at the same time needed to have credibility in because it was a senior leadership role. So I felt a lot of a lot of pressure to make sure that I made the right decisions and you know that I did HR proud, so to speak. But I I have this you know, hunger to learn, which stood me in good stead, which was I just asked questions. Mm. You know, I had to learn everything. I had been in the organization, I, I guess I must have been 10 years by then. And as HR had seen right across the organization, but all of a sudden I realized how little I knew. So, mm. you know, really needing to understand manufacturing and supply chain and how product moves within New Zealand and then globally and then the global export markets, leading a team of salespeople and later on that expanded to, to marketing and other functions where I have no functional expertise. So mm. it's the first time in my life really having to trust my team mm. and actually made me a much better leader because I couldn't lead by doing or telling. I had to lead by unlocking the ability for them to do their best. Mm. So, you know, huge leadership lessons. I surrounded myself with support. I focused on the strengths I brought across. People often ask me, you know, how hard was the transition from a functional perspective and the advantage that I brought with me is there are many, many skills in HR that have a much wider application. So, you know, I had really strong networks within the organisation. I had led teams by then, so I had leadership experience. I was good at managing complexity and ambiguity because that had been my entire career. I, I had a change orientation 
And at that stage, that account was in a position where it was a huge transformation opportunity. And then I just used a whole bunch of common sense. And I think that's that's a message that's often not told enough, and mm. particularly to women. I think we often have there's this mystique of being a general manager or a CEO and you know, or being in sort of PL roles. But the reality is the huge part of business is making common sense decisions, you know, based on the information you have and, and mm. looking forward and applying that. There's no magic rule book that everyone knows the answers. Everyone is doing the best they can. So, you know, you surround yourself with the best information. You surround yourself with people who will give you good advice and and support you. And then you make the best decisions you can. And that's what business is. There's no more mistake to it than that. And I think often we build it up to be something much bigger. I think you're right. Or look to others as more the experts or feel we need to do just that one more course or read that extra book or something to know when actually sometimes trusting your experience, your strengths, your skills, your your instinct, your gut sometimes can be can be great. Yeah, great lesson. One of the funniest experiences I had very early on that really helped me learn that was I was in a meeting and I, I was sitting there, I was the only woman in the room, and I was sitting there and thinking, I don't understand what the person who was presenting is saying, but it's obviously me because I, you know, I I just don't understand it. I don't get it. And I turned to the person next to me and I said, what does that mean? <laughs> and they said to me, I've got absolutely no idea. (laughs) And and I realise that so often, you know, all of us sit there and we don't ask the questions because Mm -hmm. we think we're the only one that doesn't know. So, you know, I really learned ask the questions and and prepare, you know, go in prepared, do my research and then trust my judgment, big learnings through that period. Wonderful. And then talk me through, you know, sort of then the next steps in your career and and then through to starting up your own business. Uh, well, from that role in Amsterdam, loved the role, found that I loved, you know, leading a, a P&L accountability, loved the customer engagement, led to uh, running the ingredients business across South and Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, so another fabulous experience, relocated to Singapore, I had my first exposure to Southeast Asian markets and went from one huge global customer to, you know, a hundred small and regional customers. So very different experience again. I had three years there, which I absolutely loved. And then the opportunity came up to lead HR for Fonterra and move back into that functional role. And it actually coincided with some personal reasons for wanting to to move back to New Zealand. A, A close family member was terminally ill. And it, it made sense. So came back to New Zealand, led the, the HR function for just under two years. And then was at a point where I looked at my career and I looked at my age and said, I'm, I'm ready to do something different. Hmm. But I didn't know what that was. And, you know, very genuinely, I was in this huge, exciting, dynamic role in this organisation, often tough, but hmm. very rewarding. And it filled my head and I really felt like I couldn't get clarity on what I wanted to do next until I put some space, you know, between myself and and the roles. So spoke to my manager at the time, the the CEO, 
and said, look, I'm I'm going to leave Fonterra. I don't know what I'm going to do, but, you know, I want to do it properly. At that time, I'd actually moved across on secondment to lead the consumer business for New Zealand, the, mm-hmm. the brand's business, uh, as there was a leadership transition happening. Uh, so I said, look, I'll uh, see this through. We'll bring in the managing director, the replacement for me, and at that point, I'll leave. And I used that time and that that space to really reflect on what was important to me and what I wanted to do. And what I had been very passionate about was the future of work. When I came back into that HR role for Frontera, what I really recognised was that You know, we talk a lot about the future of work, but certainly within um, the context I was working, we didn't really understand exactly what that meant in terms of the capabilities we needed, the culture Mm. we would need. And we were one of the first organisations actually to start grappling, because this is three or four years ago now, to really start grappling with these questions. So I had created a strategic capabilities function. I brought in an amazing individual to lead that function, who's now my business partner Mm. with the work we do now. And, you know, we really grappled with that. And as we had been working through that, what we recognised was that this was an opportunity for New Zealand as a whole. So he made the decision to start a, a company to look at, you know, how could we support New Zealand businesses to better transition? And the timing was perfect, you know, an area I'm really passionate about as well. And we made the call to to start this company together. So stepped out of, you know, 22,000 people globally, you know, all the stuff that goes with being in a large corporate to mm. the two of us, which has just been really exciting and, and a real journey the last mm. 18 months. And how was that to step from, you know, a large corporate, which has that sort of range of resources and support and people to lean on and, and potentially, I guess, less risk to actually then running your own business where you have to do a lot of stuff yourself and, and feels much more risky. How was that? Yeah, it was really hard, actually. I had underestimated how much of my identity was really tied up in, you know, being this senior, executive, global, you know, walking into a room, I had underestimated how much I brought, you know, my experience, my relationships, my networks. You know, when I walked into a room, people, you know, had a sense of who I was and what I was there for. And I felt very clear and focused on what I was doing. And all of a sudden in in this business and, you know, we were literally moving from conversations that we'd had over coffee to, you know, how do we contribute? How do we develop this? How do we build everything completely unknown? Mm. You know, and I'd be walking into a room with other entrepreneurs or, or investors and, you know, I... I wasn't bringing any of that history or that backing with me. And and that was really hard. That was, that was quite a big thing to adapt to. You know, as a woman, I found it different. You know, there is a, a much stronger presence, male presence within the entrepreneur world mm. and, and much younger too. So I really mm. felt my age, you know, I had gone through my entire career being the youngest in the room and all of a sudden, you know, as an entrepreneur, often I'm the oldest and that's quite a shift. So a lot of reflection over the last 18 months over who I am and what's important to me. But, you know, the flip side of that is that it's just been this incredible experience, you know, with alongside, you know, my business partner, Vincent, to take an idea, create it, grow it, 
uh, see it come to life. You know, it's it's an incredible experience to see something go from idea to mm. actual reality in organisations. So, so we have a software platform we've created, which is all about enabling people, you know, leveraging projects to upskill through experiential learning on the job, create rebalancing of workloads, break down some of those organisational silos, uh, have the opportunity to to take tangible steps towards a different way of working. You know, and that, that started as an idea and has become something that we're seeing every day in our customers. That's an incredible feeling because that, as you say, that sense of risk and ownership really heightens the, the highs and the lows. Mm-hmm. Definitely makes it much more of a roller coaster, I can imagine. It is. It's an absolute roller coaster. And, you know, it's so great to be able to, to experience that and, and learn from it and, you know, see where it goes. And you've talked, Joe, about some of, you know, your your tougher career moments, so whether it's kind of the steep learning curve of functional change or or managing a, an organisation going into administration. Talk me then instead about what are one or two of your proudest career moments? Funnily enough, that, that role when I was running the global account, one of the proudest moments I had was at the end of the year when I got my performance feedback and I, you know, I received a very, very positive feedback. Mm. And for me, that was almost like a, a sigh of relief. You know, mm. I had vested so much into this this change. You know, I had felt the weight of needing to make sure that, you know, for the benefit of everyone who came after me who wanted to move from HR to a line role, mm. you know, making sure it was a success. And I had really invested so much of myself into that year, into understanding the business, understanding the customer, recreating the team, you know, getting a fact-based uh, starting point for the data and to reach the end of the year and, and really see you know, our customer engagement scores went up, our team engagement scores went up, our um, overall value we were bringing through the business increased. The strategy was clear. I, I was incredibly proud, you know, not not so much of me personally, but just proud that as a team um, we had been able to deliver this and enormously relieved <laughs> that I had got through the year uh, to do that. And, you know, I think my real learning from that that I that I often share with people looking to make that kind of changes we are all capable of so much more than what we think we are Mm. you know and sometimes our own worst enemy in our careers is ourselves Mm. you know putting artificial barriers and saying we can't do this or we won't succeed or someone would be better but actually really taking that leap um, it's an incredible feeling you know Mm. when, when you see that you can actually do more than what you thought that's probably uh, one of the proudest. One of the one of the other proud. This is a little moment, probably more of a personal one, but it yeah. really stands out for me as driving in the car with my daughter one day, and she heard me having a conversation with our communications person and talking about an interview I was going to be doing on diversity and inclusion. Mm. And you know, she said to me, "Is that what you do? You you." talk about diversity and and you help people and I felt so proud in that moment I think my daughter was probably about nine or ten at the time to be able to talk about the amazing impact that HR can have on an organization in a positive sense and you know it felt really good to be doing something that was making 
making things better for, for people, for teams, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, I'm a huge believer that by creating a more inclusive and tolerant society, you know, that's the only way New Zealand will continue to succeed. So that was a really proud moment where I felt like, yes, you know, the choices I've made enable me to be proud about what I'm doing so my daughter and, and you know, my son as well can be proud as well. Uh, it's sometimes those moments, isn't it, when our, our kids suddenly realise what we do or that we're, we do something more than just being their parent and then suddenly go, oh, that's quite cool. Yeah, it's a, they're quite proud of us. I think it's a, it, you're, you're right, I've had a couple of them and it's, it's quite a magical moment. Um, yeah. uh, Joe, you have a you know you have a busy life. You you know I can tell from speaking with you, you you love your work, and so I'm you know very invested in that. How do you find some sort of balance between your working life and, and life outside of work? Yeah, it's it, balance is always an interesting concept, isn't it? Mm. And I think that it means different things for for different people. Yes. So for me, I've always integrated completely my my work in my home life you know as, as you can hear you know I love what I do I love my work uh, but I also I love my family and you know finding ways so I've always made sure that I don't miss the really important things so you know leaving work to go and attend the school functions mm. you know that that are important or you know making sure that when I'm with family, I'm with family. So, you know, what I did when the kids were younger, for example, was every now and then I would take, you know, maybe a half day off work and do something really one-on-one, really focused. Mm. So it was, you know, creating special moments and special memories, but also integrating. So, you know, when the kids were younger and I would travel for work, I would take pictures that they'd drawn for me and Mm. I'd put it up in the hotel room. And so then, you know, when I FaceTimed, I could show them. And here's the picture that you drew, you know, that's in my hotel room. So I've always tried to make them feel very involved. And actually, that's one of the amazing things now about running my own business is it's it's you can bring your family even more into that because mm. you're making real-time decisions. And, you know, my, my kids now and the ages they are can really contribute. You know, I have so much respect for this generation that is coming through, you know, the world that they're coming into and you look at, you know, the environment and sustainability Mm. and they've grown up with platforms and technology and yet we have these articulate, passionate young people who are so well-informed and have so much to contribute and, you know, I'm really enjoying that about this time with my family. But I probably also need to say I've been very lucky to have my husband who has been the primary caregiver, if you like. He's been the at-home person for most of my career and that has really enabled me to have huge flexibility, you know, in my work. And I think that that's really important. You know, having um, that kind of support makes an enormous difference. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I've, I've spoken to another couple of women who've, who've shared their similar circumstances. And I think it's something that's maybe not talked about all that much, but but is, is an important one to talk about. And this kind of concept of, of whether it's dual careers or, or how do you manage broader life by having some of those tough conversations about who steps in, who steps into the family, who steps a bit more into work, or, or do you both go, do you not? They're really great, great conversations, important ones to have. Only other thing I'd add too that yeah. uh, for me personally was accepting that it's okay not to be superwoman. Mm. <laughs> you know, there are there are always these amazing women, and I have so much respect for them. You know who 
run marathons and run businesses and bring up amazing children and contribute to not-for-profits and sit on boards Mm. and and do all these things. Mm. And, you know, that's phenomenal. But I also think that it's really important that we're kind to ourselves and recognize that, you know, for, for every exceptional person who can do all that, actually, for most of us, it's about a different picture and it's about accepting what we want to prioritize on what's important to us and that it's okay. You know, it's okay not to be on the parents committee at school because actually you're putting your time and your energy into your children at home or, you know, whatever decisions or choices people make. I think it's really important that we are kind to ourselves. And what's enabled me to have balance is, you know, I I kind of recognized through this period and, and the age, you know, having children that there were two really, really important things to me. And that was my work and my family. And then any spare time I have around that, is is about trying to do some exercise or Mm. stay fit or take time out to have a glass of wine with a friend and keep those connections. But for me right now, you know, running a marathon is not something that I can fit in and stay sane. Mm. (laughs) So choosing (laughs) that balance and that sanity for me has really been what has helped as well. None of us are. None of us are superwomen. And, and often we kind of compare ourselves to the most amazing mum at school who's done this baking or does something else and then to the amazing person at work who's done all these other things. As you say, the person who's done the marathon or but actually recognising what's important to you and and trying to just focus on on that. Yeah, great. But I wondered if you if you had any other career advice that you, you wanted to share. Probably the biggest, you know, if I share in terms of my own learnings, it would be... To, to really take the opportunities when they come up. Mm. It's so easy to think of 10 reasons why you might not be good enough or you might not be ready or you might not have the qualifications or, you know, next year would be better than last year. Or, But actually, you know, just say yes mm. and then figure it out. You know, that, and, and I've done that sometimes by accident. I've said yes, and then I've said, oh, my goodness, you know, why on earth did I say yes? yes. <laughs> and all the self-doubt creeps, and, yes. and then, you know, there's always a way through. But so, you know, my advice is always say yes, and then just figure it out. You'll always know someone who can help you or support you or, you know, help you prepare or whatever the case is. So say yes, and then see what comes. For Women and and men in early career, I would say the most important decision you make is not about what you do or the job title. It's about who you work for. Mm. You know, an an amazing leader will unlock opportunities for you. Mm. Um, Whereas the best job on paper in the world with a leader that that holds you back, the exact opposite of that, obviously. Mm. Um, The other thing would be not to be afraid to try. Mm. You know, one of the biggest unlocks for me in running a P&L was, you know, I had had this mental block around P&L. You know, then I just realized that numbers are the language of the business. Mm. And once I realized that numbers just tell a story Mm. and, you know, I learned the language and then I could tell the story myself or understand the story, Mm. you know, so don't, don't hold back because something is unknown or looks like it's hard or different, you know, lean into it and, and figure it out because there's always a way to, to figure it out. And then I guess the last one would be surround yourself with people who really believe in you and, and support you. You know, in, in this business journey I've been on over the last 18 months, my business partner is also my biggest supporter, mm. you know, and, and one of my closest friends. It's, it's so important to have people 
who are there right alongside you in your journey. And and that's been the case for me at, at all stages in my career. You know, there's been a person who said, I believe, you know, and now I try to be that person for other people mm. because we all need people who believe in us. We do, absolutely. Hey, Joe, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I've taken some good tips for myself about my own career as well. So uh, thank you so much for, for your time and, and perspective and, uh, and advice. It's wonderful. No problem. It's been great to talk. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Anna. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Thank you.